From listener-supported KTOO, welcome to Juno Afternoon, broadcasting live from the homelands of the Aquan and on demand as a podcast. It's Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. I'm your host, Boston Christopher. Going to chi ishawa, salamat for joining the conversation. On today's show, a check-in with KTOO reporter Katie Anastas about recent school board decisions. The Alaska State Museum speaker series, Cooler Seasons, Warmer World, wraps up this Friday with photographer Ben Huff on his photo series, The Light That Got Lost. Fubao is here to tell us about the key campaign march and rally tomorrow. And we'll have music and an interview with the Newton Rood Review, who will perform this weekend in Juneau. Those conversations, music, and more coming up this hour on Juno Afternoon. Support from Hanson Gress. Seeking curious people who like technology, network engineering, and customer support. Opportunities for those who thrive on problem solving. Details at hansongress.com careers. Support for Juno Afternoon comes from Heritage Coffee Roasting Company, providing Juno with locally roasted coffee for over 40 years, with cafes and drive through locations throughout Juno. More at heritagecoffee.com. You're listening to community-supported Juno Afternoon on KTOO at 104.3 Juno, 91.7 Juno Ock Bay, and online at KTOO.org. I'm your host, Boston Christopher. Over the last week, we've shared a few stories about the school budget deficit and decisions to mitigate it by the school board. Joining me now in studio is KTOO reporter Katie Anastas, who has been following this story. Katie, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's get right into it. So the school board and district leaders have been talking about the possibility of school closures for several weeks now. Um, Where did they land? Last week, we finally landed on a school closure model and the board decided to put ninth through 12th grades at Juno Douglas High School, Yadat Kahle, and seventh and eighth grades at the Thunder Mountain High School campus in the Valley. And that decision came after four hours of public comment and about two more hours of discussion among board members. One thing that was really exciting was that public comment included a lot of students, and it was really cool to have so many students get involved in sharing their perspective and, and get up to that mic, which I'm sure is nerve wracking, but they did a great job. and. Um, shared some of the perspectives that I've been hearing over the last few weeks, which is Thunder Mountain students saying they want to keep the two schools separate and that they value, you know, being able to pick between two distinct campuses that they feel like have really separate kind of cultures and vibes that that they want to be able to pick between. Uh, and then on the other hand, there were some Juno Douglas students who said uh, it made the most sense to put all high schoolers at their campus because it's bigger and has the capacity and um, also has some trades classrooms that they really want to be able to access. I see. Okay. And I know that um, at last week, I think it was last Friday, which was a day or so after this decision, there was a basketball game um, that happened between the two schools, the teams competing against each other, maybe for the last time, at least for the foreseeable future. And what was interesting about that is Nona Diamond sent us this little bit of audio of the two 
cheer teams coming together. And let's just listen to that audio. It's really sweet. Juno, Juno, let's put it together, Juno, um, which is really great because it sounds like the kids uh, becoming accepting of this idea. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with teams splitting off and maybe not being able to compete locally against each other like that. But we'll see what happens with that. But it was just sweet to hear that the cheer teams were were doing that. So um, I'm curious about this, though. Did the board... Was it a unanimous vote for this? It was not a unanimous vote, actually. Uh, the two newest school board members, who are David Noon and Brittany Choney Haywood, they cast the only two no votes against this plan. Um, both of them said that they wanted to see a little more data before making this, you know, really big decision. And uh, partway through the public comment period, David Noon suggested that they consider putting 7th through 12th grades at both campuses. So putting 7th through 12 at JD and 7th through 12th at TM. And it was interesting to kind of get the public comment in real time in a way because that suggestion came partway through the public comment period. Um, some people supported it. They said, you know, that would keep this idea of a choice between two campuses Um and they liked it for that reason. But, you know, there were some other people, including people who went to 7 through 12 schools themselves, you know, in the lower 48 who said or other parts of Alaska who said, you know, if you put that range of students in one building, it could lead to, to bullying and maybe some problems that you don't you don't find maybe as much when you split up ages and keep them kind of closer together. So mm. um, that was kind of a, a split reaction. And, you know. I think ultimately it just wasn't a model that the board had spent much time on in the previous weeks. And they've been spending the last several weeks on this and um, crunching the data and getting all the numbers. So um, it didn't it didn't quite have the level of analysis. But uh, Kristen Garreau, who's the district's teaching and learning director, um, did come up and speak a little bit to that seven through 12 idea. And she said. Having that model would have meant fewer course offerings or more limited course offerings. And that's been kind of central to this whole debate is do you close do you close campuses and try to get more kids uh, in the same grades in the same building so that there's more kids available to take that auto shop class and they won't have to cut it or there's more kids available to take that ceramics class so they won't have to cut it. And um, Kristen Garreau said that, you know, in order to have a more well-rounded course list that you want at a high school level, you have to combine campuses rather than keeping them two separate. So the 7 through 12 model um, didn't didn't make it past the meeting and they went with 9 through 12 at JD and 7 and 8 at TM. That sounds okay, good. But how does this then save money or how much does it save and 
what happens after that? Yeah, so it saves the district about $3 million in staffing and maintenance costs. Uh, the way that that's happening is it lets the district close three buildings. So the district office, which is that blue building um, over near JD, uh, Floyd Dryden Middle School, um, because you'll have seventh and eighth graders moving to the Thunder Mountain campus. And then the Marie Drake building, which is over next to JD. And that building has the alternative high school and the Montessori program. Um, it also has a lot of deferred maintenance. So that was a uh, a perk for the district to be able to close uh, Marie Drake is that's those are repairs and things that they won't have to pay for down the road. Um, so with the district office, the district is still figuring out where all those office staff will go. But um, we know that there are offices at the Thunder Mountain building. So uh, I think there's a chance that that could be where some of those staff go, um, if not other places around the district. But um Again, $3 million is is a pretty good chunk out That's of a, that nine and a half million yeah. or so. It's deficit. getting there, right? It's, it's getting, getting there. there. Now, I did hear some reporting yesterday, I think, on something about the BSA, which is the base student allocation. Um, can you just give us quickly a sort of summary of what I was hearing about that? Yes. So I'll shout out Alaska Public Media's Eric Stone. He's been covering everything that's been happening in the legislature and um, – everything that's been happening with education funding. But uh, a quick summary is that uh, this was actually happening on Thursday while the Juno School Board meeting was uh, just getting underway. But the House passed a bill that would permanently increase state education funding. And um, that would happen by increasing the base student allocation. And that's kind of the most fundamental piece of this formula that determines how much money the, a district gets from the state. and. This bill has a $680 increase to that base student allocation. And um, according to Juno school district leaders, that would mean more than $5 million more million in state funding to the district. So oh, if you wow. think about that $3 million piece from those closures, plus maybe $5 million or so from the state, if this BSA increase sticks, uh, that only leaves them with about $1.5 million to worry about, um, which would be a, a major boost to the Juneau School District and, and districts across the state who are in similar situations. But of course, the future of the bill is still uncertain. Um, last year, Dunleavy, Governor Mike Dunleavy vetoed last year's one-time education funding in half. And so um, the school board is being cautious and, uh, you know, not counting on this bill to go through as they get ready to make additional cuts. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see what happens. It's sort of with the governor now, I guess. And uh, obviously there's going to be tons more to come in terms of how we reach this, you know, how we solve this deficit. And the best way to do that is to follow Katie and her reporting here on KTOO.org. Katie, thanks so much for coming in and giving us the rundown so that parents and students can be informed. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Up next, the Alaska State Museum's next speaker, Ben Huff, on his work, The Light That Got Lost. This is Juno Afternoon on KTOO. KTOO would like to acknowledge that we broadcast from the homelands of the Akwan. The Klenidi have stewarded this area for thousands of years. Today, our studios sit on a spot once part of the Tidelands 
now covered over with buildings, roads, and parking lots. We recognize those families who travel to and from these tidelands to fishing and hunting grounds and to gatherings in other villages and still cherish it as an important part of their way of life for today and for future generations. KTOO turned 50 a few weeks back and we are celebrating throughout the spring and we want to hear from you, the community that has supported locally owned airwaves in Juneau for five decades. We'd love to hear your reflections on how KTOO has impacted you over the years. We're looking for audio submissions that are one to three minutes in length that share your thoughts, memories, driveway moments, personal stories about the station that we can use on the air. To submit, Record your message on your smartphone and email it to junoafternoon at ktoo.org. Instructions for getting good audio can be found on our homepage at ktoo.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Gunathchish, Hawa, Salama, thank you. This is Juno Afternoon from your listener-supported public media station, KTOO. I'm your host, Boston Christopher. Artist and photographer Ben Huff will give the final talk in the Alaska State Museum's winter lecture series, Cooler Seasons, Warmer World. Huff's talks will be this Friday, March 1st at 6.30 p.m. in the APK Lecture Hall. He will discuss his current photography series, The Light That Got Lost and his work with the Juneau Icefield Research Program, the longest running glacial research project in North America. Ben was an artist in residence at Lightwork in Syracuse, New York in 2014, was awarded a Rasmussen Fellowship in 2016, and received an Alaska Humanities Forum grant in 2015 and 2016. His work has appeared in the New York Times, Bloomberg, The Guardian, among others. And also joining us is Jackie Manning, curator of exhibitions for the museum. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you both here. How's it going? What's up? Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Of course. So, um, Jackie, let's start with you real quick. Uh, so this is the last in the Cooler Seasons Warming World. There have been some great talks this fall and winter, David Rosenthal and a few others. And so this is wrapping up that series. Yeah, This is it. Yes. Uh, Camille Seaman, the curator for Alaska Positive and Sabina Allen uh, over in Sitka gave a talk as well. And those are all available online on YouTube. Um, but yes, Ben had agreed to give a talk on his photographic series that is that I haven't seen much of, so I'm really excited to see it. And um, he had a solo show when I first started at the museum back around 2011, 2012, mm -hmm. The Last Road North, and I just actually hung that painting this morning in oh, nice. the museum in another show that we have um, that opens on Friday. So uh, it's been a, a long time that I'm familiar with Ben's work and, and been working with him, so I'm really excited to see these new uh, images you're making. Absolutely. All right, Ben, good cheese for being here. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about the light that got lost. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a series of pictures, um, all in and around, um, the Juneau ice field and, uh, the local glaciers that the ice field supports. Um, and I'll have some pictures actually from the Mendenhall Valley, a little, a little far flung from, from the ice field itself, uh, on Friday night as well, but it's mostly based around, 
um, the Juno Icefield Research Program um, and the work that that, uh, that, that group does um, up on the ice field every summer. I've been involved with them since, kind of loosely since 2015, um, which was, uh, I'll kind of talk a lot about this on Friday probably to start. We'll Spoil it now. But, it's fine. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I, I, I first started making pictures out at Mendenhall Glacier in probably 2012, shortly after my wife and I first started. We first moved to um, to Juneau, and I struggled a great deal with that landscape, and sort of struggled a great deal with with my connection to it, and sort of how I felt about it, and how I could represent it in a way that felt sort of honest. Um, walked away from that work after a while. I just wasn't sort of finding what I was looking for. Um, and then a few years later, was up on the ridge, um, you know, out Blackerby, out toward Obbs, um, and saw the Camp 17 buildings, um, the jerk buildings there at Lemon Glacier, um, and was just, I mean, it was like a, it was like a magnet, you know, it was, it was, you know, sitting up on this, not a new attack, but this, you know, ridge with the glacier on either side and these sort of metal clad buildings that are just sitting there, you know, sparkling in the sunlight. Uh, and it was sort of mysterious. And I've always been interested in in sort of architecture and, and people existing sort of on the edge of frontier. Um, and those buildings sitting there on the rocks just sort of embodied. I didn't know a thing. I didn't know a thing about the program. Didn't know what the buildings were there for. Um, but just visually, it was, it just, it, it, uh, yeah, really, really moved me. Um, and I, you know, saw them for, you know, mere moments sort of making my way down the ridge. Um, and then, you know, long story short, several years later, I found myself in that landscape with students, with that program, making pictures, um, was fortunate enough to kind of find a role within that organization for myself and, and making, making work alongside being a faculty member and now being on the board with that program. Um, and it, it, I have a relationship with it and a love for it and sort of a responsibility with it that, that is, you know, is, exceeds just my pictures. Um, mm. but the pictures that I've made with that program have been, um, yeah, in, in, important to me um, from a, a career standpoint, um, spiritually, if that doesn't sound super corny, um, but uh, they're they're different than a lot of the work that I've made to this point. I think I'm seeing now the similarities and the and the ways that maybe they overlap that I didn't see for a long time. Um, it's work that I'm still actively making, um, which always sometimes feels a little self-indulgent talking about work when it's sort of <laughs> is is sort of um being kind of cooked uh as it were but um but yeah i'll be sharing pictures uh kind of that, that's that kind of run a pretty wide gamut of what i think this project eventually will sort of be um i'm still actively making and, and sort of thinking and constructing and to be quite honest, kind of figuring out what I want it ultimately to look like. Um, so yeah, Friday will be um, me kind of hashing some of that out in front of a, re a reveal, of audience. a reveal of yeah. the beginnings, right? Yeah, and I, yeah. I mean, it's interesting been, that you're talking about because, like, the idea of you know perspective changes too over time. Totally. You're talking about how you know you were moved here in 2012 and and you were seeing the glacier in a certain way or you're seeing other areas of town in a certain way and then of course we're aging as well and that changes our perspective on what we're seeing and how we're seeing it and so that's going to be really fascinating to sort of include that kind of 
you know, stuff in your in your talk. And I'm curious about this this series and how your talk this Friday fits into this idea of cooler seasons warming world, right? I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, how does how does that fit in? Yeah, I mean, I think you know this this particular work um, working alongside. Uh, scientists from all over the country and students, some that are, are, are studying science, um, some, you know, artists and writers and, you know, advocates and, and all sorts of, you know, different walks of life. Um, but it's, you know, at, at the core of it, um, you know, the issues of, of climate change and a changing environment and um, sort of everything that, that is involved in being in love with and being close to and 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 making a life out of studying and having a deep relationship with a landscape that is in um flux that 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 exceeds you know just normal processes right um yeah. it's sort of you know it's the kind of things that that i don't know it's so sort of heavy and loaded and and um Oftentimes you kind of start talking in this way and, and people sort of tune out, you know, um, and photography is not great from a journalistic standpoint, for sure, when it's supported by text. But just photographs alone, you know, don't really do, I don't think, a great job at, at, at sort of telling a lot of those stories. And I'm not necessarily um, pointing pictures directly in that way, but I think, you know, within the context of the world that we're living in, it's impossible to look at at pictures of, of ice and, and landscape and people working or even recreating in that landscape and not, and not sort of, um, you know, understand larger, larger implications. Right. Um, and certainly, you know, the, the, um, uh, the exhibition, um, uh, Rosenthal's exhibition at the museum now, um, certainly Camille's work that she spoke about, um, you know, there it's, you know, it's, it's different, different artists in different mediums, um, you know, coming to a shared landscape and just trying to sort of have a similar conversation in a different way, you know? Yeah. Um, I talk about this when I'm teaching sometimes that you're just like, I, I kind of recognize that, you know, I've, I've shown two works at the state museum, one in the old building that, um, that Jackie was talking about and just here, um, year or two years ago now, um, at the, at the new space. And I, I, I sort of recognize, even though I feel sometimes like this new work is, is, is a change or a shift. I do kind of feel like I've been having the same conversation for 20 years and I'm sort of just, I'm just finding a different door into the same room yeah. over and over, you know? Um, and, it, and that's, and that's fine. You know what I mean? It's not, I'm not, I'm not burning the circuit board and trying to recreate something or, and I, I kind of admire, artists or photographers that can do that, you know, like sometimes I think a big shift in reality is just that, like the minute, you know, like the smallest little thing. Um, but it, it is, I'm yeah, for better, or for worse. I'm, um, I'm yeah. It all just kind of comes back to, to yeah. Some elemental, some elemental things. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I love it. The landscape. 
I love it. And I love the fact that your talk is going to be sort of, you know, as we all are and as the climate is and everything in process, right? It's yeah. in process and it's changing and it's forever changing. Yeah. And um, Jackie, is there anything else that we need to know about this series? Are we going to continue this series maybe next fall and winter? You know, we, be a season two. Uh, I've, I've, there has definitely been interest to do that. And I've had some people reach out that, um, that, uh, so they'd, they would like to see that. Um, so far we don't have it on the books, but, um, but it's been very popular, and and the if you did miss any of these talks, uh, Ben's will also go up on YouTube, the State Museum's YouTube page, and um, as well as Camille's uh, Camille Seaman and David Rosenthal and Sabina Allen. So, all fabulous talks that um, you can still see online. That's excellent. Well, Ben's going to be talking this Friday, March first, at six thirty p.m. at the APK Lecture Hall. It's part. It's the final. It's the final talk in the Alaska State Museum's Winter Lecture Series, Cooler Seasons, Warming World. For more on Ben, I want to make sure I shout out your website. It's HuffPhoto, H-U-F-F, photo.com. And of course, you can follow the museum at, is it L-A-M? Is that what we say? Library yes. Archives Museums. That's yes. what that stands for. L-A-M.Alaska.gov. And you can find out information about all the things coming up and, uh, and of course, this series and find the previous talks as well. So going to choose for coming in today and sharing a little bit about this and giving us a little tease of what's to come on Friday. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, up next, FUBAO is here along with members of the Key Coalition for their Key uh, Campaign Annual Events. This is Juno Afternoon on KTOO. But first, a savory moment. Step in to the savory moment. In life, there are so many opportunities for missed opportunities. The phone call we didn't take. The house we didn't buy. The blind date we turned down. (laughs) But in the kitchen, new opportunities arise every time we cook. And most of them are incredibly seizable. Juicing a lemon? Peel it first and reserve those potent yellow strips. You never know when you'll need a little zest to liven up a future meal. Got a pile of chicken bones from last night's sheet pan supper? Make broth. It will be so much better than anything you can buy at the store. Nibbling a piece of smoked salmon? Save the skin for a pot of vegetable soup. Throw it in for a hint of smoke. Parmesan rinds serve a similar purpose, imparting a nutty flavor to the base liquid. What about a heel of artisan bread that's going stale? Cut into cubes, toast lightly, and stir into that soup you're making now, letting it dissolve as a toothsome thickener. Bonus points if the bread contains rosemary and olives. Add some white beans to the pot and you've got ribolita, Italian bread stew, for dinner tonight. While you're waiting for the crusts of that bread to soften into the lemony, smoky, parmesan-rich broth, seize the opportunity to take a phone call, peruse the real estate listings, or make a date. 
Find the recipe for lemony ribolita with a hint of smoke at savorymoment.org. From the studios of KCAW in Sitka, Alaska, I'm Beth Short Rhodes. Whatever is on your dinner table tonight, may you savor the moment. You're listening to Community Supported Juno Afternoon on KTOO, 104.3 Juno, 91.7 Juno Ock Bay, and online at KTOO.org. I'm your host, Boston Christopher. The Key Campaign is an event put on by the Key Coalition of Alaska, which is a nonprofit statewide group made up of people with disabilities and their families, friends, and supporters. They gather each year for the Key Campaign to meet with Alaska legislatures. Here to tell us more about it and the events tomorrow are Fubao Hartle, advocate, Katie Jones, Key Coalition Board Member, and Claire Pavia, Key Campaign Advocate, also known as FUBAO's mom. Gunath Chish Haye Adi, thank you all so much for being here today. Wasa Iati, how's it going? Thank you for having us on, boss. Of course. This is a big deal. I feel like we, we need to have as many people as we can to turn out tomorrow morning at 11.30 a.m., it's here like a plaza of mods, and we need to have a jam-packed Plaza. I love it. You're gonna you're gonna start at the Sea Alaska Heritage Plaza at 11:30, and you're gonna march up to the Capitol steps, and that's where a rally will happen at noon. So that's kind of cool. But Katie, I wanted to ask you, tell us a little bit about the Key Coalition of Alaska. Yeah, so the Key Coalition of Alaska was um, founded in 1988. So been coming down to Juneau for three and a half decades um, to advocate for home and community-based services for people with in- intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, the coalition is made up of people with disabilities, um, their family members, um, provider agencies, um, direct support professionals, um, anyone who really has a say in kind of the experiences of people with disabilities and being able to come down and advocate for them to live in their communities of choice. and Yeah, and people yeah. can find out more on your website, of course, keycoalitionofalaska.org. Um, I'm sure there's all kinds of details there about how people can get involved. Um, so Fubao, you've been involved in everything from the Special Olympics, the Torch Run, and so much more. Uh, what made you get involved with the Key Campaign? Because I believe everybody has a right to have services, and people should not wait. We, we, we should not wait for services and wait lists. I right. feel like that's so unfair to people who struggle every year waiting and waiting and waiting for services every a long time every year and we should advocate as loud as we can because I feel like this year is going to be a, a big election year and, and we need to raise our voices as loud as we can 
Yeah, the more voices, the better, right? In terms of, um, you know, getting the issues out there and finding that. And also, this is a place where if you're, um, you haven't heard of the Key Coalition or the Key Campaign and you want to be a supporter, um, you can show up tomorrow at 1130 and, and be a supporter and an advocate um, and participate in uh, this walk up to the Capitol and the rally that happens at noon. Um, and so... How can people find out more about these specific events? I know you've had some other things happening over the last couple of weeks, right? There's been some other things that have been going on in Juneau. Um, we had some like some organizing meetings and you met with the legislatures in person a little bit already, right? Yeah. So we've um, the last few years have been doing virtual visits with each of the legislators um, the week before we come down to Juneau. Um, and then we come down and we meet with additional um, <laughs> additional people. That lots of meetings. Yeah, yeah, lots of meetings. Um, we are partnering with the Behavioral Health Association on some of their um, their platforms this year. And so when we do come to Juneau, we get together and um, try to talk about some of the things that we'd like to see happen next year and kind of get the planning going for, <laughs> for next year's. Um, but if people want to get involved, our website's definitely the best place to go for that. Um, keycoalitionofalaska.org. Um, you can fill out, um, a contact form on there and be in touch with us and we can, we'll send out information as stuff gets planned for next year. Yeah. That's fantastic. And Claire, why are these important? Why are these events important to you as a parent? Oh, good question. So um, I also just want to note that the Juno folks were able to meet in person with our legislators because we were fortunate enough not to, um, you know, have to travel here. We live here. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something I guess I've been involved since over 20 years since Fubao was uh, in preschool, I learned about the organization and the rallies. And it's, it, you know, it's multifaceted for me. One is it's a way to meet other people that are in Juno and outside of Juno that are, you know, like Katie's, uh, you know, has a family member with a disability. And it's a great way to connect and learn about issues that are important to other people develop friendships, um, and, and just learn things. I, you know, I find that, you know, you learn about other resources that you didn't know of, like, oh, maybe my child has, has this disability and you connect with somebody else that, wow, my, my kid has that too. And this is some things that you might find helpful, a book or a resource in the community or in, or in the state. So that, you know, that has been really helpful. I love that. To me. I love that. All right. Fubao. This is your your shot. One more one more time. Tell us why we need to get out tomorrow. Because let's let's them let's just them packed um see a like a plot and let's march up here and get everybody fired up and keyed up. I love it. And it's tomorrow and it's 11.30 a.m. You're going to meet at the Sea Alaska Plaza, Sea Alaska Heritage Plaza. Meet there at 11.30 and you're going to walk up to the Capitol and then there's a rally on the Capitol steps at noon. Let's, uh, sorry. Let's get raised our voices and behold. And then also for folks that they are, don't have time, they can't get to the march, you know, just please meet us at the steps at noon for the rally. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, you can find out more about all of these events at keycoalitionofalaska.org. Uh, Gunnath Cheesh for you all being here today. I really appreciate you coming in and telling us about this march and this rally and this, this organization. I really appreciate it. Fubao, it's always great to see you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Let's get up for keyed up. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. This is Juno Afternoon on KTOO. We're listening to Juno Afternoon from Studio 2K at KTOO. I'm your host, Boston Christopher. The Newton Read Review is a performance art collective specializing in variety, vaudeville, burlesque, song, and dance. They combine innovative ideas, classical training, and artful arrangements to joyfully share their art. They are currently on a multi-city tour titled Deep Dive, which winds up in Juno for four performances this Friday and Saturday, March 1st and 2nd, at the Juno Arts and Culture Center. I sat down with them before the tour began last week. The troop members are Dee Dee, Infinity Divinity, Lady LaCroix, Meow Shell, Pfeiffer, Miss Davy Coquette, Ooh La La, Spruce, Megan Moonshine, Sharon Dubois, and a cool bunch of musicians who are backing them up. The troop joins me now in Studio 2K here at KTOO. Thank you all so much for being here. How's it going? Um, I am so tickled hearing you say all of those names, Boston. <laughs> 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 um, it was it was a challenge, especially Meow Shell Pfeiffer. That's really where you shone the brightest. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get the errs at the end there, because I think that's kind of fun. It's really an interesting thing to come up with a stage name. Is that sort of a burlesque or vaudevillian tradition? Uh, it is, uh, for better and for worse, yes, uh, a safety tradition. Safety uh, tradition. And then speaking now is Miss Davy Coquette or Coquette. 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 But yes. however you want to say it, Boston. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so great. So let's first talk about the origins of this troupe. I want to get back to the beginning. So this started in Skagway. How did it begin? Where did that idea come from? And how long has it been going on? Yeah, our first show was in Skagway in 2016, where a, a large portion of us worked at the Red Onion Saloon as madams. So we spent all day talking about women's history and leaning into that and, I don't know, our own power as women, etc. And then Miss Davy Coquette had recently gone to a burlesque workshop down in Seattle uh, put on by Miss Indigo Blue. So she came up and she said, hey, Lady LaCroix, um, <laughs> <laughs> this is so silly. I love it. <laughs> uh, you can't really hide your identity in Juno, really. But we can okay. pretend, though. We can, <laughs> we can pretend. pretend. <laughs> let's keep pretending. I like it. Let's start over here on the left, and um, let's get everybody who was in the band today. I know not everybody is here. Um, unfortunately, I think my favorite, Meow Shell Pfeiffer, is not here today. But who do we have in the studio with us today, starting over here? We have our host, D.D. D.D. Okay, and? Uh, hi, uh, this is uh, Sharon Boys, and I'm here all the way from Dirty Jersey. I'm Miss Davy Coquette. I'm okay. a singer and dancer. Awesome. And into this microphone? Uh, hello, I am Coltron. <laughs> Coltron, okay. 
Um, this is Lady LaCroix. I am one of the producers of the show and a singer and dancer. Okay. And last? I go by Master Beater. I play the drums. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Um, and that's part of the fun, right? Like, I, I, I want to ask you about this, Ms. Davey. Like, uh, that's part of the fun, sort of this history of, of names. Obviously, these aren't real names. They're fun, sort of vaudevillian burlesque names. Give us a little bit about why that is and some of the history. Uh, a nom de plume, any kind of a stage name or alias, is often to protect the individual and their real life to keep their anonymity on the stage uh, separate from what they want to do in their everyday life as a real person. Uh, so we are grateful to be here for you under these aliases as I we perform that. nude, rude, possibly lewd acts. Whoa. Um, okay. And you and before we started the interview, you were telling me a little bit about the history of sort of um, burlesque in Juneau and how what you discovered about that. Um, of course, in Southeast Alaska, there is an enduring history of performance, burlesque, vaudeville. Um, here in Juneau, I recently learned that a friend of mine who uh, I got to collaborate with had done burlesque, had produced burlesque decades ago. Uh, my personal inspiration was the luminous pariah of Maud Carousel, uh, who grew up here in town, took his craft to Seattle with Miss Indigo Blue uh, and grew it beyond uh, and came back home and did some shows here in Juneau, which led to finally and uh, finally way back in 2016, uh, allowing Lady LaCroix and I to join the ranks of burlesque performers in this area. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about the history of how you began back in, in Skagway when you're all working at the Red Onion um, or various people were working at the Red Onion, the inspiration of that, and then that leading to this and the history in Juno here. So I know that the Nude and Rude Review has done shows recently in the last few years, but why this tour? Uh, why now? Yeah, um, we got an email on our relatively dormant website from Yukon's Rendezvous Festival that happens every February. It's a, over a two-week-long festival. They have events and performances every single night. And they emailed us and said, hey, are you still active? We would like to talk about hiring you to come to Whitehorse to headline our festival. Because we saw one of your little rough-and-tumble DIY Yukon, Alaska shows. Yeah, when we went out, we've gone on tour twice before in 2018 and 2019, and both of those tours included Whitehorse. So someone saw one of our shows that we performed to probably 25 people. In an old strip mall. Yeah, and there oh, were wow. there were 15 of us on stage, so the, the ratio of performer to audience member was notable. Wow. And they remembered us, and it worked, and... Um, we all got together last October and we performed over Halloween weekend at the Crystal Saloon. And prior to that, many of us had not seen each other since 2019, since we went on tour that fall, including Miaoshiel Pfeiffer, who is landing in Juno at 930 tonight, whom I none of us have seen since 2019. So this is a bit of a homecoming. It's like a resurgence, too. So this is the first live performance since covid um, and the shutdown and everything happened. Or the so, first full tour that we've done. First full tour. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So we did last October 2022. But this is the first tour that we've done since COVID. And the fact that five years deep, I don't know, this is a very different time because we're not all working seasonal jobs out of Skagway anymore. So right. the fact that this many of us were able to get the time off work 
to go perform in Whitehorse and Skagway and Haines and to finish up in Juneau at the Jack on March 1st and 2nd is a really big deal. That's pretty great. Like, I, I love that, that you're all able to get back together and make the thing happen because obviously you have passion for it. Um, and if you go to nudeandrudereview.com, you can see some of the videos from previous performances um, where you can see kind of the style because I want to talk about that a little bit. Like the idea of the combination of styles. I was saying in the intro about how you're combining, you know, variety, vaudeville, burlesque, song and dance. Um, and, and you're also classical training. So what does that combination bring out in terms of the art form that you end up creating? Yeah, D-D. so <laughs> DD, um, I would say most of us, most of us, um, our first, uh, our first or primary uh, performance uh, style is not burlesque. Um, right. so really, and, and I joined in the troupe in 2017, so I was not here for the very beginnings, but the, the story goes that Davy Coquette really did come up and say, Hey, I want to do burlesque. And uh, Lady the Croix said, great, let's do it. Um, and so some of us, uh, we have, I think three of us with degrees in musical theater, um, we have folks, uh, our band is all trained musicians, um, people who come from just different backgrounds. We have singer, singer, songwriters, uh, actors, no one who primarily does burlesque. Um, but we all came together believing in this thing so much. And, and it's true. We all have a lot of, you, you can't see us cause we're on the radio. So, um, but everyone has been reaching over and like grabbing hands and <laughs> touching each other because we missed each other so much. Um, we have a lot of love for this thing we do and, and for the people involved, uh, whether it's core troop members, uh, our guests, guest performers, which we have guest performers in every city that we're going to. Um, so we all bring different backgrounds and different even interests um, and different forms of training, uh, different life experience to this stage and to this group, uh, which really makes it very unique from anything I've done. <laughs> I love that. It's like a combination of everyone's talents and bringing whoever, whatever the group is made up of. And obviously different tours might involve different people. And like you said, bringing in people, guest artists from the different towns you're going to. And it feels like, and um, I'm going to ask Miss Davy about this because I think this is an interesting thing. It's like a celebration of art and music and bodies, right? And the way the world has shifted and changed, um, in the last, you know, five years for sure, just in terms of the the way we think about uh, identity or we think about our bodies and we think about body positivity and all of those things. And yet this is burlesque, right? And um, so what is that line that you're writing? Is it, the, is, it, is it a celebration of, you know, all of those things together? And how do you feel about that? Thank you. Uh, I would say yes and and beyond. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say that each person in this room, each person in the troupe, honestly, each person in the audience might have a different moment to share or feeling to share from a show, from performing, 
uh, from watching someone else. Uh, yes, body positivity. Yes, body acceptance. Mm. Yes, um, yes, fat positivity. Yes, yes to all bodies. Yes to all people. Yes to all bodily autonomy. Um, yes to freedom in those expressions. Yeah, because I do want we, we want to make clear like some people I think may not even understand the difference between like burlesque and what they might think of as a strip club, right? Which is you and know, like yes to strip clubs. Yeah, and if sure. that's not your vibe, also yes to that. Right, right. <laughs> and if you want something a little sillier but still with some tease, then our show might be up your alley. That's uh, that's burlesque, right? It has sort of the tease element, and I I don't know this actually. Can you tell me what is the what is the legality of nudity? In Alaska. In the state of Alaska, you can perform fully nude and serve alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) It's different state to state. However, in Washington, where I received my prestigious training, uh, it is a remaining blue law. You cannot pop a pasty, as they say. You cannot bear a nipple on stage. Uh, If you do, you can be taken to court, and it is recorded as an act of God. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so interesting. So that's what you're defending yourself against. Yeah. Amen. I will say, <laughs> as people, there will not be full nudity in our show. Though, I've been, not to not to knock it, uh, but for sake of uh, people understanding what, what they're going to be walking into, we've got our full live band, lots of pasties. Yep. Lots of, many skimpy outfits. We Some skimpy outfits that. and lots of sparkles. sparkles. There will be a reveal. Yeah. Uh, may I share a brief story about DD unless they were about to share it themselves? I have no idea what you're about to say, so please. Uh, when DD joined us, as as she mentioned, burlesque is not her her first performance love or what she has trained in, uh, and was perhaps uncomfortable to be. Doing striptease on on stage for the first time. Nervous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the way the entire audience was enthralled for their removal of first one glove, then a second glove, and finally, everyone on the edge of their seat, a jacket. Mm. Not a single inch of clothing more was removed. Not a single inch of skin more was shown. And everyone was desperate for more. Anyway, so burlesque is the tease. That's you don't have to bear it all. I think that's the thing, right? Like it is. It's so easy to find that other stuff if you want it, right? But to have the sort of sensory overload or the sensation or the sensuality of you know a removal of a glove that can be, let's just say, very sexy, right? So that's kind of cool. Okay, so let's talk about the shows here in Juneau, which are going to be happening this weekend, um, March 1st and 2nd. It's going to be Friday and Saturday night at the Jack. I want to make sure we mention this, Lady LaCroix, that the show is uh, 21 and over. Yes. Because there will be... Alcohol served. TK McGuire's will be hosting a bar for us. Okay, great. And so I just want to get that out there for those who might be thinking about um, showing up. Um, And then what can we expect over the course of the show? There's two shows. They're going to be about 90 minutes. And give us the times. But really, first, let's talk about what, what kind of content will be 
in the show. Yeah. So there will actually be four shows, two a day. There's a 7 p.m. and a 10 p.m. each night because I know I like to be in bed by 10 p.m. So if that's the train you want to ride, come see us at 7 and uh, yeah, Didi's also raising their hand. And if you want to get a little more wild with us, show up for the 10 p.m. show. The show will feature some 20 performers by the time we get to Juno. Whoa. Because so many of us are from here and many of us have been performing in this place for a long time. We have the pleasure of having a wide, we cast a wide net in this town. Apt, because this is our deep dive tour. Yes. We are going ocean theme this year. So we've got... Um, Wait, do we have a fish costume? Yes. Okay, good. Just one? <laughs> I don't know, but there's definitely one. There's going to be one. There's at least one. Yep, at least one. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. So there, there's going to be fish. I, I might have ordered a whole slew of umbrellas for the splash zone oh, of the show. There's a splash zone. There's a splash zone at the front of the room. Though I will say, I don't want to get, you know, you don't want to get too splashed if you've gotten all dressed up. And there is a costume contest. We are encouraging folks to join us um, with <laughs> with the ocean theme. If you want to come as your own fish, we would love that. Wow. Wear your Heli Hansen. Wear your haute couture. Come one, come all. 21 plus. <laughs> I love it. Um, there will be some 20 performers, a 90-minute show with an intermission. We do have DJ Dr. Ake is going to be playing pre-show and during intermissions. We've got fun ocean beats dropping all night long. Um, Gams Divine, who moved here from Florida a couple of years ago, who has been gracing stages with her burlesque since she got up here. She's been performing burlesque down in Florida for over a decade. She's absolutely stunning. She's going to be performing. We've got some other guest performers, and then our band is expanding in size to include a couple more horns in the horn section. Uh, things are going to get weird in the best way possible. I love that. What a great way to bring in March, right? Like, you know, as we're getting out of this these terrible winter conditions, let's heat it up a little bit. Ides and tides, baby. <laughs> I love it. Okay. <laughs> We've been having a lot of fun with our names, which is really great. But I do want to say that we know you may recognize these voices um, that have been part of, that are part of this troupe. Although from those who have flown in from Jersey, um, <laughs> you may not recognize, but um, Lady LaCroix. If you want to come see a show that is full live music, 20 performers, live band featuring performances by Taylor Vidic, Colton Welch, Cameron Brackett, Nicole Boscarino, and Kelsey Bryce Riker, and Marshall Bovey, the master beater the drummer of our band whose name we cannot say on air so please check out our website nudeandrudereview.com we'd love to see you on march 1st and 2nd grab your tickets thank you so much for being here today boston. thank you boston that was the nude and rude review they are on tour and will play juno this friday and saturday march 1st and 2nd with two shows each night for more visit nude and rude review that's r-e-v-u-e dot com nude and rude review dot com will do it for today's Juno Afternoon. On tomorrow's show, the City Museum previews the 12 by 12 show, Stellar, opening this Friday. Little League softball and baseball registration is now open. 
and we'll meet this year's AWARE Women of Distinction honorees. Juno Afternoon airs Tuesday through Friday at 3 p.m. right here on KTOO Juno 104.3 and KAUK Juno Bay 91.7. Hello out the road. Find the show online at ktoo.org slash Juno Afternoon, where you can listen to episodes, subscribe to the podcast, offer feedback or suggestions, or find out how to be a guest on the show. Our theme music is by Indian Agent. Juno Afternoon is a project of the KTOO Arts and Culture Team. I'm Boston Christopher, producer and host of the program, with help today from Aaron Tripp. Thanks, and have a warm and cozy Juno evening.